Well, good morning. It's uh, good to worship with you this morning. Uh, for those that were at Summer Bible School, I do want to assure you uh, that the one speaking this morning is Pastor Mike uh, and not Builder Mike. Uh, Builder Mike was a New Jersey construction worker that taught our children how to, or how God created all things. So, so this will be, uh, be the Pastor Mike. So joy to be with you this morning. Uh, We are going to continue our series now through the book of Colossians, where we're discussing the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Our text this morning will be Colossians 1, verse 18 through 20, so you can go ahead and turn there. If you do not have a Bible with you, we do have few Bibles. Uh, That is on page 983. It's Colossians 1, 18 through 20. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Paul has a typical pattern when he writes his letters. It begins in a greeting and grace, and then it goes on to thanksgiving and prayer for those that he's writing to. And then from there, he declares the gospel, uh, the good news of God's grace in Christ. And then in the assurance of this gospel, he calls us to faithful obedience. In this section, uh, Brett began last week, it declares the beauty of the gospel. And the way that Paul speaks of the gospel here is he puts Christ's character and his work on display. Uh, Last week, Brett emphasized that Jesus is not only with God the Father creating all things, but that he's also the glue that holds all things together. The God who created all things is seeking to reclaim all those things ruined by sin in Jesus Christ. As we navigate the Colossians hymn, we start to see that all things matter to God, and not just our private individual lives. A matter of fact, if you look through the actual uh, Colossians hymn, you see that all things is mentioned five times. So it seems as though God wants us to see the significance of everything under the sun. Today we'll see that Jesus not only is a creator of all things, but is the one through whom God reconciles all things to himself. So follow along with me as I read Colossians 1, verse 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are not only the creator of all things, but that you have sent Jesus on a mission to reconcile all things in the face of this earth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the glory and beauty of Jesus this morning. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While reading the Colossians hymn, we're confronted with the real identity of Jesus. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer, and reconciler of all creation. And as we continue through the book of Colossians, and particularly this hymn, we need to be confronted ourselves. How do you view Jesus and his mission in this world? Because I believe very firmly that our view of Jesus will direct us in whatever mission we're pursuing here on this earth. But when we look at the world around us, we realize that there are many different missions out there. Uh, People have many different goals as to what they pursue and a vision of how things ought to be. This morning I want to start by looking at a few of these options of missions in the world. One missional approach could be an approach of accumulation. 
seeking prosperity and building for the self. In this mission, we gather all the trinkets and toys, money and resources to build our own kingdom and wealth. We use and abuse people to get ahead for ourselves. We neglect the good of others so that we can prosper. This idea of accumulation is what Jesus spoke to in Luke 12 when he referred to the parable of the rich fool. In this parable, you see this man who is considered the rich fool, and he makes this comment. He says this, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now this rich fool is given the title of fool because ultimately everything he built his life around will one day follow him to the grave. And Jesus reminds us that a man's life consists in more than just the abundance of his possessions. And this is something we need to hear in a culture that is so obsessed with getting the latest thing. If we build our lives only for ourselves in this life, we will end up with nothing in the end. Another approach to life or a goal to life is industrialization, seeking progress and building for society, advancing together the cause of humanity and pursuing societal prosperity. Now, sometimes this is done to the destruction of even the physical world around us and the abuse of other animals. Now, we'll say this. I mean, this is a little bit better, right? I mean, it's, it's not exclusively focused on the self, but at least it's caring for other people and the whole of society. But see, the problem is that we as humans, we're too self-focused to do all the cooperation work necessary to really work together to build a greater society. We will find ourselves rubbing up against one another in tension because we ultimately want what's good for us. So we need something that is going to direct us outward to be servants towards other people. And embracing the salvation through Christ's sacrificial service is the very thing that can turn us into servants, caring for others. A third approach is what we'll call separation. We seek isolation and build a bunker of safety from the evil world out there. The assumption to this goal or this mission is that we believe God will ultimately rid all evil from the world. He will burn it all up and throw it away in the trash heap. We only will be transported to the new world as the righteous. And so we need to build bunkers of safety to protect us from all of the evil and the corruption of the, of the world. Now, the problem with this perspective is Jesus has called us to enter into this world. He's called us to rub shoulders with people that are not like us, to engage in love with the culture that we live in. Not to create a bunker of safety, but to press in and to bring Christ's love and the gospel. Sadly, many Christians disengage with the culture because we judge people as immorally corrupt and we are terrified of their influence among us. We think they are too immoral for Jesus. In our text today, we see that God has called us to a very different mission. We see that Jesus is ultimately bringing reconciliation to all things. And this reconciliation, don't get me wrong, it first seeks the restoration of our broken relationship with God and builds to restore brokenness in the world. This perspective seeks the flourishing of all God's creation. 
we realize that God is renewing this world after the pattern of the cross and resurrection. This work begins with reconciling people back to God and then God sending us out into His world to bring reconciliation and restoration to all that is broken around us. And when we see Jesus right as the reconciler of all things, then we are redirected to engage all spheres of creation. This means all of our work matters done under the sun. In the, uh, the hymn, Joy to the World, a beautiful Christmas hymn, it was actually not meant to simply be a Christmas hymn, but to be a declaration of all of our call in the whole world. This gives us this broader scope of Jesus' peace project. Listen to this common uh, phrase in the hymn that you might remember. It says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessing flow as far as the curse is found. You see, Jesus seeks to bring reconciliation to all creation that has been damaged under the curse of sin. Jesus restores us to this relationship with God, and again, He redirects us to engage all spheres of creation. But first we must see, who is Jesus? Who is this Christ, this reconciler of everything? First we will look at the position of Christ. What type of status is given to Jesus? Paul says that He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then everything He might be preeminent. He might be lifted up and exalted as the Supreme One. He clarifies Jesus' position by pointing to His place in the body. Christ is the head of the body, the church. This is a very vivid picture that reminds us that the church, those who believe in Jesus, are united in a vital relationship. We're so united that God is forming one body with Jesus as the head. This demonstrates our absolute dependency for life in the Lord Jesus Christ. As John 15 would say, He is the vine, we are the branches, we live only through Christ alone. But notice this is very intentional. He says that we are united to Christ who is our head. He doesn't say that Jesus is simply the legs of the body so we can tell Him to go where we want Him to go. He is not identified as simply the hands to tell Him to grab whatever we want to grab for our enjoyment. We want Jesus to often fall in line with us and to give a stamp of approval on our own plans. But this Jesus, the head of the body, will not let us force Him into our own plans. You see, He alone is the head of the body. He alone is the one who has ultimate authority and direction for us in the church. Douglas Moo says that in the ancient world, the head was conceived to be the governing member of the body, that which both controlled it and also provided for its life and sustenance. Christ is the locus of the church's unity and coherence the source of the church's sustenance and direction. If Christ is the head of the church, then He is both our leader and also our life. Jesus' position as head comes in clear focus when we open up the Gospels. What did Jesus do when He called people to learn from Him? He didn't tell them to go and read a book that He wrote on the bestsellers New York Times list, nor did He say primarily come and hear a lecture. Jesus, when He called people to follow Him, He said, come and follow Me. He is the head. He says, take up your cross daily and follow Me. 
If anyone wants to save his life, he'll lose it. But if anyone loses his life for my sake, he will ultimately save it and find life in the Savior. This completely confronts us as ones who want to be our own head. You see, when Jesus walked along in Israel and Galilee and different places, He had His disciples side by side with Him. He showed them what it looks like to engage with tax collectors and sinners over a meal and to not become moral sellouts, but to live socially with the reality of their calling as image bearers and as followers of Jesus. When He had a prostitute come to Him wiping His feet with her hair and perfume, He showed them what it looked like to value this woman as an image bearer of God, a human person, and not to use her as an object of his sexual fulfillment. When Jesus walked around and engaged with difficult people, they saw every single time what it looks like to love those that are hard to love. And I think many of us have experienced that in our own life. You see, the reality is many of us long to be the captain of our own soul. We love to determine our own destiny. And this is primarily what it means to be American in some ways, is to be able to achieve, to work, to accomplish your plans. But it takes humility and surrender to embrace life and leadership from Christ. It takes trust to enter into the difficult places where Christ has called us to go. It takes submission not to grasp whatever our senses tell us looks desirable or enjoyable. But more than that, it takes a life-giving relationship where we are enamored by the love of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And this leads us to follow Him as the head of the body. So where is God calling you to go? What mission is He calling you to pursue? Is your life characterized by a willing submission to Jesus' lead? And if not, why not? We see the main question of this text is, do you trust Jesus enough to follow His mission of reconciliation even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient? Well, Paul goes on for proclaiming Jesus as the head of the body to declaring that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. We will more willingly submit to Him as head if we will see Him as the person He is. When Paul says that Jesus is the beginning, he's echoing back to Genesis 1.1. Do you remember that text? The first words of the Bible. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This reference to Christ at the beginning connects us to the grand story of creation. This means that Jesus was never created. He forever lived as one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, fully united in fellowship and love and one God altogether. He created all things and was before the creation of everything. This Jesus is referred to as the beginning is also the new beginning in God's creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. Last week, Brett mentioned that this word firstborn points to the status of Jesus among everything in creation. The firstborn child receives double the inheritance and double the honor. And so we see that Jesus deserves all honor and glory as the supreme and preeminent one. But we have an added sense in this verse where Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Here he means that Jesus is actually the firstborn of God's new creation in a resurrected body. After Jesus was buried in a tomb and died on behalf of our sins, He resurrected on the third day. His full body was revived in full glory as a human person fully alive. Jesus was birthed out of this tomb of death 
and was revived. And it's really interesting because you look at the gospel accounts and it says he showed himself to 500 people over 40 days. This did not happen in a corner. And it, one of my favorite aspects of the gospel of Luke is how it portrays the reality of this resurrection. Jesus is going around. He's walking, talking with numerous people. He goes to Doubting Thomas and he shows his actual wounds and says, Touch these wounds. See, I am a real risen Savior. And he eats a meal of fish with his disciples. Who wouldn't have wanted to been at that barbecue enjoying those fish? All of this assures us that Jesus really rose to forgive us of our sin and to conquer the grave. But being the firstborn from the dead also implies that others will join Jesus in this resurrection. The scripture says that there will be a resurrection of all the dead. Those who have trusted in Christ and are united to Him, they will rise to eternity and enjoy life with Him for all eternity with God. But those who reject Christ in this life, those who plan their own way and pursue their own priorities, they also will be raised, but they will be raised to eternal punishment separated from God for eternity because of their own rebellion. You see, Jesus has the right to be the head of the body because He has all power over even death itself. No matter our physical strength, no matter our financial portfolio, no matter who we know or where we go, every one of us will one day die in the grave. We will succumb to the power of death. and We will lose our life. But Jesus is the only one who had the power to overcome death. He is the only one who buried in the grave shut open the doors. He pushed them and pushed His way through into life eternal with God. And He is the only one that can unite us to Him and bring us into the kingdom to come. This text goes on to state that this person of Jesus is the fullness of God that was pleased to dwell. Notice that this does not say that Jesus was a godly man, nor does it say that God was with Him. The text says all the fullness of dwelled within him within these these two phrases all and fullness we see a full picture of who jesus really is he was fully god and fully man he was not partially god or the appearance of god the full nature of god filled his person for all eternity this language of the fullness of god dwelling within has an echo to the old testament temple after solomon built the temple to worship the lord he brought the ark of the covenant This was something that held the Ten Commandments and was a sign of God's faithfulness to His people. It was actually a tangible reminder of God's presence among the people. In 1 Kings 8, we see what happened as this ark entered the temple. It says, When the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the fullness of God's glory filled the temple. In a similar manner, the fullness of God fills the whole person of Jesus for all eternity. Jesus from all eternity was always God fully indwelling in all of His nature, this man. He was fully God and fully man. And so we can trust Him as head, this conquering King, this great and exalted Lord. But you see, what's interesting is the Colossians suffered under the false teaching of the Gnostics. They were constantly emphasizing that Christianity was missing the secret to fullness. And you can almost hear our own culture saying that too. You're missing out on something that you could really enjoy. There were hidden mysteries. There were mystical experiences. There were man-made rules that they had to follow in order to arrive at 
fullness. But if Jesus Himself was the fullness of God dwelling in flesh, then all fullness belongs to Him. And if we are united to Jesus in saving faith, then we are united to the One who is very God Himself. Not only are we united to the One in whom fullness dwells, but we experience this life of fullness in relationship to Him. This mission of reconciliation seeks to restore all the brokenness of life and to lead us into this fullness of joy. After stating that Jesus is a supreme position and after clarifying His identity as God, Paul declares Jesus' mission to bring peace. In verse 20, we see the comprehensive scope of Jesus' mission in the world. It says that God, through Christ, was reconciling to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now this is very interesting because when we see this word reconciliation, we're instantly thinking two people in conflict. But He doesn't first talk about people. Notice that in the biblical text it says that He's reconciling all things in heaven and also on earth. This is only done through the peace that is accomplished through the blood of His cross. This mission of reconciliation is restoring all broken relationships in God's creation. The missional call to reconciliation, it actually even assumes that everything was made to be in right relationship to God. God sought the flourishing of the world by the cooperation of every creature. And God gave humans the primary role to reflect His character into the world. He called humanity to cultivate the earth, to have dominion over and subdue all other creatures, not to dominate them, but in wisdom and love to care for His creation. God designed humans to pursue growth in these four relationships with God, with self, with community, and with creation. You see, from the very beginning, God has called us to worship Him, to find meaning and value in relationship with God through intimacy and meeting our deepest longings for life. Relating properly to God, we are called to relate properly to ourselves. We see ourselves as God sees us. Valuable image bearers of God. Loved by Him. But see, in the security of this love, God has called us to create families of love. To relate to communities in care and love and development. That we would be a community of transparency and cooperation. And as these communities work together, they were to seek the flourishing and the fruitfulness of all of God's creation. So you see, from the beginning, God cared for His whole world. Because of humans' first rebellion against God, there began a breakdown, a rupture of all these relationships. While turning from God, we lost the source of our meaning and love. We no longer knew where to go in our leadership. Instead of loving God and building our life on God, we worshiped things in creation. We spend all of our time incessantly thinking about our work, incessantly thinking about our finances, incessantly thinking about our families, and these become ultimate things in our lives. And not only that, but as we forget about God and disconnect from His reality, we also get confused and disoriented about ourselves. We do no longer see ourselves the way that God sees us, with value and significance as His creation and as His children. No, what we do is we ultimately look to ourselves with inflated pride and have too high view of ourselves. Or we look to ourselves deflated and discouraged because we have so low a view of ourselves. Many of us, like me, can be very anxious when we're around other people because we're terrified about how they view us. 
When confused people enter relationships, it creates all sorts of tension. We become codependent and hurtful and harsh because we're looking for others to fulfill something that only God can fulfill. You see, hostility covers all spheres of creation. Our only hope of reconciliation is found in Jesus Christ. The peace which brings reconciliation and restoration to all these broken relationships comes only through the blood of His cross. When Christ was nailed to the cross, He entered into the greatest hostility we've ever seen in creation. He bore our sin, and because Jesus bore our sin and our hostility, He was separated from God. We hear the agony, the cry from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was forsaken by God because He bore our sin and bore God's wrath. In bearing the hostility and ruin of our sin, Jesus Christ paid the full brunt and the penalty. And it's only through the blood of His cross that we're restored in relationship with God, in relationship to self, community, and also creation. Romans 5 confirms this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have been declared righteous. God has made us into a new relationship with Himself. The peace that Christ came to bring through the blood of His cross has covered all of our sin. And we turn and trust in Jesus. If you have not yet trusted in Christ, this is your call. The first call to reconciliation is the call to come to God through the blood of the cross. And then to pursue and be redirected to the mission of God, bringing reconciliation to all spheres of creation. In all of His authority, the head, the one of all authority and honor and glory lowered himself to die on a shameful cross that we might know him being reconciled in relationship with god we seek to restore everything in creation according to this pattern there's a beautiful picture of this in a farm called polyface farm led by joel salton and his family they show a picture of what it looks like to reconcile all things in 1961 william and lucille salton moved out to the most worn out, eroded, and abused farmland in the Shenandoah Valley. Maybe many of you have been out in that area. They sought to restore this ruined landscape into a life-giving soil. The land was restored by constant rotation of what they call the happy cows and the chickens and also the pigs. They roamed freely on this farm. They planted trees. They built large compost piles. They dug out ponds. And all the animals are guided along to fresh grass daily by an electric fence that changes the location of these animals. There's even something called an eggmobile, which transfers the eggs of these uh, chickens to these new places. According to Dro, the, the, the Joel, the drive of this careful reconciliation and restoration is a conviction that the Creator's design is still the best pattern for the biological world. They say we are in the redemption business, healing the land, healing the food, healing the economy, and healing the culture. Due to their ethical farm practices, it's no surprise that their meats taste absolutely delicious. And maybe you've tried it yourself. But also the animals are well cared for. You see, God has called each of us to a redemption business to enter into those worn out, eroded, and abused aspects of society and bring His restorative love and care. We are called to bring healing by our daily vocations. 
as a banker, you seek the reconciliation of all things when you restore people to greater financial responsibility and stewardship. As a teacher, you seek the reconciliation of all things as you guide students to better understand how they can use their skills and abilities to bring this reconciliation to the world. And even as a student, in all your tedious and hard work, in all the books that they force you to read, in all those assignments, in all those tests, are preparing you for the work of reconciliation. As an engineer, you produce plans and products for greater efficiency and to open up newer possibilities in God's creation. You see, all these things point to the call to reconcile all things in heaven and earth. And I'm not trying to over-romanticize this. I realize that work is hard, and there are real challenges in our daily labor on this earth. Yesterday afternoon, I was pulling weeds with my wife at 12 o'clock, Probably not the best idea. Uh, But as we were doing this, the sun was beating on us. It was hot. I was sweating through my black shirt, and the blazing sun almost burned a hole in it. But as I did this, I kept at it because I knew it was making a difference to our yard. Until I pulled a weed and a hornet stung me on my right ankle. This was the third hornet sting I've had in the past week. Both of my ankles bursted up into a massive swelling. This is true. Many of us experience the hardships of work in this world. We're overworked, we're underappreciated, and we're constantly in conflict. But in all these challenges and headaches, we have to keep the big picture in mind. If Jesus is reconciling all things in heaven on earth, then that is our calling even now, to join Him in this work. But as we do this, this pattern of reconciliation, this pattern of restoring life, we look ahead to when Jesus will fully and finally bring this reality here on this earth. We look to the great reconciler who will come back again and renew all things on this creation. Until then, we enjoy the reality of what He's done on the cross. And as we enjoy these sacraments, we're reminded today of the peace and the price of that peace of Jesus dying for us. And as we eat the bread and as we drink the wine, let us be reminded of the fruit of this reconciliation, that God has called us into this world to bring this good news to all peoples, for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You, Lord Jesus, that You are reconciling all things to Yourself. We praise You that You, the great Reconciler, love us with a steadfast love. Empower us by Your Spirit to pursue the reconciliation of all things. And help us to persevere to the day when You will make this a reality. May the blood of the cross give us lasting peace and move us to bring peace in all spheres of life that have been torn by sin. Do this by the power of the power of your spirit and to your glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.